Welcome to the American Experiment Podcast. I'm John Hinderocker, joined today by Katrin Wigfall and Amy Marat. And the occasion of today's podcast is that it is National School Choice Week. Katrin, it seems like every time I turn around, it's School Choice Week again. That's <laughs> a sign of getting older. It comes around, comes around once a year. What's going on this year around the country for National School Choice Week? Well, lots, John. It's a great opportunity to celebrate K-12 education options in the variety of forms that they come. So you have traditional public schools, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private schools, religious schools, home education. And what we're seeing is a really innovative form of education emerge through micro schools. And we're so pleased to have Amy Maratz with us today. She is the founder of Awakening Spirit in Stillwater. Amy, I like to refer to you as an education entrepreneur because you're really focused on providing families alternative options. Your uh, nature-based student-led micro school, hopefully I get that right, is really you know showing that there are uh, alternatives to traditional public schools that can really be uh, flexible and tailored to meet students' needs. So, Amy, let's start off by helping our listeners and viewers better understand the micro school concept and what that offers families. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm honored to be on the American Experiment. Um, My family has subscribed to the publication for years, and so this is really a treat. Um, Micro schools have, I mean, really, they've been around in some name, shape, or form since the beginning of education, right? So we have the one-room schoolhouses that were very local, and communities would band together. They would pool their resources. They would hire a teacher to come in, and that teacher would be a part of the community. And so we're really kind of reclaiming some of those old ways in a 21st century tech type of environment. So um, I work with a company called Micro School Builders as well as own and operate my own school. And we coach aspiring school owners on how to start schools as businesses. So we like to define micro schools as um, a school with probably under 25 students. Uh, so it's it's very small, it's very intimate, and they can be very uh, directed on, on a specific path of study. So for us, we do a nature-based school. Um, the kids are able to pursue their own passions while underneath the guidance of instructors and teachers and doing you know, math and reading and, and all of the normal things that we need to master in order to hey, Amy, let explore. Me let me just stop you yeah. for a moment there because this is super interesting. When you say nature-based, I, I want to hear more about that. You mean science is, is emphasized or what, what, what does that mean? Uh, so for us, our nature-based uh, really describes where our classrooms are. So we meet in a single-family home uh, and the, the rooms of the house are set up really kind of as classrooms, but we also have an outdoor part of our school. So we have a forest school uh, that meets outside and we have an outdoor classroom with benches in a beautiful woods area. And as a part of every week, the kids are out exploring, learning more about not only nature, but about themselves and about what they're capable of doing. We use the Boy Scouts of America handbook to go through survival skills and outdoor type of training environment too. That's interesting. I mean, you know, many, many years ago, my father said to me that the definition of a school is a teacher, a student, and a log. 
<laughs> you know, you're kind of doing a little throwback, you know, to I love that concept. So micro schools, Amy, I mean, are they typically, you know, physically where the kids will get together in a place like you just described? Can they also be, you know, remote, remote you know, internet based or how does that work? They kind of are popping up in all different varieties. Um, through Microschool Builders, we've helped coach people to open online schools. We've found that schools that have at least some portion of an in-person project are more viable. The kids and the families have uh, more buy-in to it. And so the retention is better and the school can stay around for longer. Um, my school uh, serves homeschooling families in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So all of the families file independently as homeschoolers in Minnesota um, on the actual form. It says primary educator, and that's the parent. And then it says secondary educator, and that's where we're listed. So we operate as an educational resource. So so a, if I understood what you said there correctly, Amy, a lot of the kids who would attend your school would be classified as homeschooled kids. And the micro school is kind of a supplement or a part of the, the homeschooling. Is that right? Yes, that's the that's the way that we are structured now because micro schools and the term micro school hasn't been adopted nationally and hasn't been really legally defined on a national level it's kind of a state-by-state -state system so in some states you have to operate as a homeschool resource in some states a micro school actually could be a private school um, it really depends on where you are I want to jump in and just talk about other micro schools that do a little bit, you know, they operate a little differently than yours, a little bit of a different focus, but just to kind of touch on this definition of micro school is, you know, kind of ever expanding, ever growing. But I think of uh, Alfreda Baldwin's school. Alfreda Baldwin is with Take Charge. Her Laurel Community School in St. Paul is identified as a micro school, but the students all meet in a physical building. Uh, I, I don't know if any of them are homeschooled, but uh, Amy, can you just yeah talk about that setting as another option uh, for how micro schools can operate and look? Yes, absolutely. I believe Laurel Community School operates as a private school. I'm not 100% sure, so please correct correct me out, Miss Alfreda, if if you hear this. Um, and they operate uh, under a Charlotte Mason curriculum, which is. Um, it's, it's a curriculum that was developed for homeschooling families, and then she's bringing into a private school setting. So again, very small numbers, um, and they have a certain age range that they're doing, serving, uh, and the, the kids come in and they move from class to class, section to section, a little more like a traditional school. So I just love that we're seeing really education entrepreneurs enter this space, start new schools, think through new ways to edu educate because as we've seen here in Minnesota our traditional public school system is leaving far too many students behind oh, can't, it's failing. can't do that tailored and, and flexible uh, education model uh, so Amy can you talk a little bit about your school's growth uh, since COVID I, I know you've been in existence uh, prior to that but we're really seeing a new popularity for micro schools in response to COVID and yeah just yeah talk about that a little bit for sure. Um, yeah, my school, I founded my school in 2017. So I was a little bit ahead of the of the wave. Um, and I started uh, the school in the lower level of my own family home. Um, we started with 
three students and then we had five and seven and then the pandemic hit. That was just coincided with the time that my husband and I purchased um, a 15 acre property in Stillwater and it was perfect timing for families who were looking for uh, something different, whether it was because of medical freedom, whether it was because of um, political bent, whatever it was, they were able to find us. We grew to um, have five guides and 26 students at one point in time. Um, and now actually we're kind of honing down a little bit because 26 to me, even though it's a micro school, it doesn't allow the one-to-one type of ratio that I really like working with. So we, for next year, are down to 12 students so that we can go back to kind of our roots and hop in the shuttle bus and go on field trips whenever we are studying something that warrants a field trip. You know, it's really interesting to me, Amy, that that part of what you're doing, this isn't the whole story, but part of it is you're kind of hearkening back to an earlier era of education when classes were small and where the one-room schoolhouse really was a thing. And a lot of people got really well educated in that environment. And I, I'm reminded of, of a conversation I had with a good friend of mine within the last within the last couple of years. And and he had been talking to a young woman who was incredibly accomplished, not not very old, but very she was a doctor and a medical researcher. And at a young age, she had just achieved an astonishing amount. And he asked her, how have you been able to do so much, you know, at, at, at your age? And she kind of laughed and she said, well, I grew up on a farm in Iowa and I attended a one room schoolhouse, literally. And because there weren't that many kids, we didn't have grades and there was nothing to hold us back. And so each kid could go as fast as that kid was able to go. And as a result, I really did get quite a bit ahead of my contemporaries. And then as part of that environment, she said, there was just never any sense that there were limits on what we could accomplish. We felt free to accomplish anything. And I thought, wow, that's kind of an amazing endorsement of what we think of as a very old-fashioned approach to education. So I think it's very cool that you're kind of bringing that back. Yeah, that really, um, yeah, that everything you said just really resonates with with how we do what we do. I think from an education perspective, the other benefit of having a really small group of students, and I have from ages six to sixteen right now, um, is that, and I have eighteen kids right now, um, is that the only way to truly sh prove mastery, in my opinion, is to teach somebody else. And so when a, one of our students gets through pursuing whatever it is they're, they're pursuing, whether it's a foundry course or um, sewing, the, the way that we have them prove mastery is to teach another child. So you're not only learning it yourself, you're teaching it. And I think in those old fashioned one room schoolhouses with only one teacher, the older kids ended up taking on a lot of that role and teaching the younger kids. And it's a wonderful way to learn and cement things. You're absolutely right. You know, there's a book called The Sotweed Factor by John Barth came out during the 1960s. And there's a wonderful character in that book named, I think, Henry Burlingame, if I remember correctly. But he says, and he was a tutor, and in the course of it, he says, the best way to learn is to teach. And that always struck me. I think that is absolutely correct. If somebody listening to the podcast is interested in pursuing the, the option of uh, micro school for their own kids, how, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you find out about some of these choices? Sure. There are um, quite a few organizations popping up now that are trying to create directories of micro schools. 
Um, Microschool Builders has a very small directory because we're only listing the schools that came through our program currently, but the National Microschooling Center has a bigger directory. Meridian Microschools is another one that has um, an online directory that is um, self-selective directors of schools will sign up and, and list themselves on, on that type of thing. Honestly, Google is probably your best bet. Just searching microschools near me um, will come up with a lot of options. And then just ask, ask around. A lot of us are very small. So it's a lot of organic reach so, from so people talking. The legal framework here. You know, if I'm a parent and I've got an eight-year-old kid and I'm thinking I want an alternative in public schools, I, th I think this sounds interesting. You know, but I don't really understand, you know, what, what, what's the legal situation? Um, so if you have a specific microschool you're looking at, the director will be the one who can really tell you how that school is set up. Because, um, for example, mine is a homeschool resource. So I help my families go through and make sure that their T's are crossed and their I's are dotted and they filed their paperwork with the state. Um, other schools have different processes. If it's a private school, it's just the same as enrolling your child at any other private school where the school itself files with the state which students that they have and what test at the end of the year that they are taking. And Minnesota really has, you know, minimum homeschool regulations when you think of other states. And so that's a good place to start is, you know, the Department of Ed provides resources for homeschool families. If you want to declare your child as a homeschool student that you'll be engaging in that home education and then, Amy, it sounds like they would reach out and get in touch with you to add uh, Awakening Spirit as that secondary educator option. Yeah, if that's how the school works, then that's how, like, that's how we do that. Let's broaden the conversation a little bit, Katrin. Uh, the whole area of school choice, I mean, our organization, American Experiment, has been working for school choice literally for, you know, 25 or 30 years in um, in Minnesota, but this is a national movement. And just in the last year or two, we've seen some real breakthroughs around the country. Isn't that right? Absolutely. We've seen states introduce and expand school choice programs uh, really take off. 2023 was a record year for school choice expansion. And we're finding that the demand is there, and that's what and that's what states are responding to. Unfortunately, Minnesota is behind the curve on that. We once led with school choice in the form of the first public charter school law, uh, but since then we've really uh, struggled to remove financial barriers that are preventing families from accessing other options. And so, American Experiment has model school choice legislation ready to go. Uh, we've sifted through hundreds of pages of school choice policy from across the country to pull out really key pieces that we think would make the best school choice policy catered to Minnesota's unique and special needs. And so, you know, things like homeschool families, micro school families who want to participate in another learning environment, uh, but maybe face financial barriers, a school choice policy in Minnesota would make that a reality for them. Well, and something else we've been doing, too, at American Experiment is working with other groups to mobilize support for school choice, particularly among urban parents whose kids, you know, tend to be in the, in the lowest performing uh, schools. And, um, Amy, we, we, poll, we have polled support for school choice. As you know, we, we do a quarterly poll uh, with our magazine, Thinking Minnesota. We, poll, we have polled support for school choice a couple of times. But most recently, at the end of the 2023 legislative session, I think it was early in June of 2023, 
we asked just a very broad, simple question about do you support school choice? And 74% of Minnesotans said, yeah, I support school choice. And I think we're seeing a revolution here. And I think what you said, Amy, is right. I think COVID played a part for a variety of reasons. I mean, the public schools were obviously not serving a lot of families' needs. Um, and, uh, and I think there's a real consensus that has developed around school choice. We've seen it in states around the country. And I don't think the legislators that are trying to block it or the teachers union trying to block it in Minnesota, I don't think they can stand in the way of a 74% majority who say, I want school choice. I think this is a battle we've been fighting for a long time. I think it's a battle we're going to win sooner rather than later. And it's not a partisan issue. I mean, I look at the handful of states with Democrat governors who have signed on to school choice expansion. Uh, the one that comes to mind most recently is Pennsylvania's uh, Governor Shapiro. And so this is something that is supported by Democrats, by Republicans. And I think a key piece with our poll question is we phrased it in a way, we didn't just say, you know, do you support school choice? Because opponents of, of what we consider real school choice in Minnesota will say, oh, well, we have school choice. We have charter schools. We have open enrollment, which, by the way, can still be strengthened. But we pulled it in a way, do you support the tax dollars designated for your child's education to follow that child to the public or non-public school of choice? And that support, I think, is key because it really gets at the fact that a good education should not just be for the wealthy, and Minnesotans want to make it available uh, to all students and all families. Well, uh, Katrin, you're doing fantastic work at American Experiment. There's a revolution going on for the, for the better, I think, in, in, in education, and it's overdue because, frankly, our public schools have been failing a lot of our kids and uh, and you you two are are both in the forefront of helping to make that happen on a student by student family by family basis. So Amy Marats, thank you so much for being with us on the American Experiment podcast. Thank you.